My mom was a very kind person. She would welcome many into our home for just a visit or for dinner. But I especially remember her kindness to my friends and myself. She would often get snacks together for us when we were playing. And she would do all those little things that just made a house a home. She was especially good in times of illness. She didn't shy away from the hard moments of caring for someone who was sick, whether it be her mother or my dad or myself when I was sick. And then she became a grandmother, and I witnessed again the kindness that she had, first for my nephew and then for our kids. She would make time for them. She would read to them. She would play with them. I remember that uh, when they lived in Calgary and had a garden of flowers in the back, she would often uh, invite our oldest to water the flowers. And this was our oldest's greatest joy when she would go there. I still remember my mom when she was 80 years old getting down on her hands and knees to play mini sticks with our son in our old place in Deer Ridge. And uh, she also loved to read with our youngest when we would go visit or she would come to visit us. You learn a lot about a person's heart when you spend time with them. And I learned a lot about my mom's heart in my growing up years and then the years following when I became a parent. And, and one of our challenges as Christians is understanding God's heart. What is he like? How does he respond to situations or the people in those situations? How does he treat people? And we're going to today see more of God's heart in the Bible. The Bible, one of its great purposes is it reveals to us who God is and what he is like. And in the next section of the book of Ezekiel that we're going to be looking at today, we are going to see three significant passions of God's heart. Last week, we saw the glorious vision of the transcendent God on his fiery chariot throne that was held up by the cherubim. And Ezekiel recognizes finally that he has seen the likeness of the glory of the Lord and he falls flat on his face and then hears a voice speaking. And so we're going to pick up today what that voice, who is the Lord, said to Ezekiel. And in that, we are going to hear three of these passions of God's heart. And my prayer today is that one of these will speak to you deeply in a way that will draw you closer to God because you see that this is a passion of his heart. And so if you have a Bible today, I'd invite you to find Ezekiel chapter 2. It's on page 589 in the Bibles in front of you if you want to follow along. Ezekiel chapter 2, we're going to read to chapter 3, verse 11, and also there's an insert in your bulletin that has, again, a portion of the picture of Ezekiel that we looked at the first week. Last week, we were in the top half of the picture where we saw God's glorious chariot throne, and this week, we're in the bottom half of this picture where God is commissioning Ezekiel. So Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 1 to chapter 3, verse 11. And he said to me, Son of man, 
Stand on your feet, and I will speak with you. And as he spoke to me, the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. And he said to me, Son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, to nations of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. The descendants also are impudent and stubborn. I send you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God. And whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, be not afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns are with you and you sit on scorpions. Be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. And you shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Be not rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. And when I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. And he spread it before me, and it had writing on the front and, the, and on the back, and there were written on it words of lamentation and mourning and woe. And he said to me, Son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll. And go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me the scroll to eat. And he said to me, son of man, feed your belly with this scroll that I give you. And fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. And he said to me, son of man. Go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. For you are not sent to a people of foreign speech and a hard language, but to the house of Israel, not to many peoples of foreign speech and a hard language whose words you cannot understand. Surely if I sent you to such, they would listen to you. But the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you, for they are not willing to listen to me. Because all the house of Israel have a hard forehead and a stubborn heart. Behold, I have made your face as hard as their faces and your forehead as hard as their foreheads. Like emery, harder than flint, have I made your forehead. Fear them not, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, all my words that I shall speak to you Receive in your heart and hear with your ears and go to the exiles, to your people and speak to them and say to them, thus says the Lord God, whether they hear or refuse to hear. So this is Ezekiel's commission to ministry by the Lord. And the question we're asking today is, what do we learn about God's heart as he calls Ezekiel to prophetic ministry? And the first thing that we learn is that God has a heart for righteousness. God commissions Ezekiel to confront the people about their unrighteousness. God himself is righteous, and he calls forth righteousness 
from his people. Now, what is righteousness? Well, one definition of God's righteousness goes like this. God's righteousness means that God always acts in accordance with what is right and is himself the final standard of what is right. So again, God's righteousness means that God always acts in accordance with what is right and is himself the final standard of what is right. And God then calls his people to live righteously, to live as he lives. And he gave them his law to show them the way of righteousness. Yet Israel collectively failed to live out this calling. And it wasn't like they missed one or two items on some obscure Sabbath law. They disregarded and violated all of the Ten Commandments. An enormous level of unfaithfulness to God had spread throughout the people. They collectively disregarded the original covenant and settled into a lifestyle of rebellion against the Lord. And that was one reason why they were in Babylon. God had warned his people for centuries to return to him, to walk in righteousness. But they ignored his pleas and continued in their own ways. So he finally allowed the Babylonians to conquer the land and lay siege to Jerusalem. Yet even this had not led to collective repentance among the exiles. So God would send Ezekiel to bring his message to the fellow countrymen that he was in exile with. Now, how do you feel about God's requirement that we live righteously according to his standards? We might think, why can't God just leave us alone? He can be righteous And as long as we don't hurt anybody, we're good people. Why must we live according to God's standards of righteousness? To this, we first need to recognize that God wants the best for us. And he knows way better than we do what we really need. And though we may think we can adequately rule ourselves, The evidence points in the other direction. We think it is best today in our culture for us to be completely free of any restriction or authority over us. Yet humanity has shown its inability to effectively rule itself over and over again throughout history. We think we can solve all the world's problems with some advance in technology. Yet we fail to address the restlessness and despair in our souls. And if we are so great at solving the world's ills, why are there so many problems? Why is there a mental health crisis? So God's call to righteous living is not to be strict or controlling, but for our good. I read this morning a way that the ancients thought very differently than we do. It says this, the ancients 
conceived of happiness in a different way than we do. They would call it flourishing. And flourishing was not seen as doing anything you wanted, but as conforming your life to the nature of reality. Just as a trout is only happy when it is in the water, not in the air. And a robin is only happy when it is in the air and not underwater. So ultimately, when we live according to God's righteousness, we are aligning with reality. We are living as we were created to live. And we will greatly increase the likelihood of our own flourishing and happiness the more that we follow in God's righteous ways. Second, I would say, in response to this objection, why can't God just leave us alone? Turning away from God means we will inevitably enter into idolatry of some sort. And idols always master those who worship them. Thinking we are free, we actually become more enslaved. We decide, I'm not going to turn to God for dependence, for support in my life. So we turn to something else and end up with some addiction in our lives and we become enslaved. Or without God, we turn to someone else, often ourselves, and think we're the ones that are going to be, have all the solutions and all the resources. And if you live a little while, you discover quickly that you soon run out of your own resources and wisdom and energy. Yet when we turn to God, we find an eternal well of resources and ability to supply all of our needs. And my third response to the objection that we have to live righteously and abide by the righteousness of God is we all have a sense of justice. We all want God to call to account the really bad people like Hitler and Stalin and serial killers and others. And we know our justice system has multiple flaws, yet because of his own righteousness, God will ultimately call all injustice to account. From the great genocides to the mean bully in the playground. God, because of his righteousness, will not let wrongdoing and injustice go. And ultimately, the injustices committed against us will be called to account. So God has a passion for righteousness. He himself is righteous. He sees righteousness and righteous living as so good for us. And yet, though he insists on righteousness, he also reaches out in love to us. One writer puts it like this. If God were only a God of holy perfection, we'd be crushed under a sense of inadequacy to change. If God were only a general spirit of love, we'd be complacent in our sin. But he is a God of holy love, calling us to respond to him with repentance. So we may think God's heart for righteousness is an imposition on our lives, but ultimately is for our good. And God himself is the ultimate Good, And we will see God's heart for righteousness 
come out again and again as we walk through this book of Ezekiel. So that's God's first passion that we see here, his heart for righteousness. But secondly, we see another passion of God. God has a heart for the rebellious, for his rebellious people. And throughout this call, God describes Ezekiel's target audience, which is, are his countrymen, the exiles. And yet... He does not flatter them. He simply tells the truth about them. So in chapter 2, verse 3, Ezekiel is told he will speak to nations of rebels who have rebelled against God. He will bring a message to those who, along with their forefathers, have transgressed against God. Ezekiel must speak to the impudent and stubborn in verse 4. And a person is impudent if they will not lower their gaze in humility, but will continue staring at someone who looks at them with disapproval while they sin. A brash, arrogant stare of impudence. I will do whatever I want to do. And then those who are stubborn are those who are hard on the inside. They have a hard heart and a hard mind towards God. In verses 6 and 7, the Lord refers to them as rebellious, a rebellious house. So Ezekiel's audience, people have collectively rebelled against the Lord. In fact, the Lord says that he sends Ezekiel to a people so stubborn that were the Lord to send Ezekiel to a foreign people who did not understand the language he was speaking he would get a greater response from the foreigners than from his own people who understood his language. This is found in chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, where the Lord says, For you are not sent to a people of foreign speech and hard language, but to the house of Israel, not to many peoples of foreign speech and a hard language whose words you cannot understand. Surely, if I sent you to such, they would listen to you. But the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you because they are not willing to listen to me. So these Israelites are not only rebellious, they will be unresponsive to the message. And you might think, Tom, I thought you just said that God has a heart for rebellious people. And here he's describing them in all these tough ways. His words do not flatter. They do not comfort. No. But we must notice God's care for them in sending a messenger. If God didn't care about them, he wouldn't send them a messenger. He would just judge them. He would ignore them. And this speaks to me about a God who cares enough about me to keep talking to me when I rebel against him. To stay with me when I live in rebellion. To continue with me when I ignore my sin. To reach out to me and save me. To persevere with me. God's heart for a rebel such as me brings hope. And it brings us hope in a couple of ways. First, that the Lord will continue to speak to us when we sin. He waits like the father in the prodigal son parable with his arms waiting for us to return to him. And when he sees us at a distance, he runs to us. But it also gives us hope that he will continue to speak to our loved ones 
who have rebelled against him and gone in a different way. God can send messengers. God can speak to their hearts. God has not lost his heart for them. So if you have loved ones who have walked away from the Lord, don't give up. Continue to pray that the Lord will keep working on their hearts. So we see God has a heart for righteousness. God has a heart for rebels. And then the third thing we see, which is, I think, the most encouraging part of this passage, God has a heart. For his servants. Did you notice how much provision God gave to Ezekiel for this very difficult ministry task? The first one is, is quite funny in some ways, but, but God enables Ezekiel to stand up. Did you notice that in chapter 2, verse 2? Ezekiel is flat on his face before the glorious God, and then God puts his spirit into Ezekiel to enable him to stand up in the presence of God. And then the Lord encourages Ezekiel to not fear. Verse 6, And you, son of man, be not afraid of them or their words. Or later, do not be dismayed by their looks. So he is going to endure people who are going to speak harsh words to him and look at him scornfully. And then there's that strange section in the middle of chapter 2, verse 6, which says, And you, son of man, be not afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns are with you, and you sit on scorpions. Now, I'm not an expert in any way on animals, but I think it's a pretty bad idea to sit on scorpions. They will pinch you and they can sting you. So, so what is this portraying here? Well, it could be portraying that the people are like briars and thorns and scorpions who are just waiting to sting and bite whenever Ezekiel ministers. But there's another school of thought that this could actually refer to God's hedge of protection around Ezekiel. Notice the briars and thorns are with Ezekiel. So it could be God is putting briars and thorns around Ezekiel to give him a hedge of protection from all of those who will oppose him. And in the English Standard Version, there is a reference or a note that you could translate scorpion, scorpion plant. And so it's another image maybe of, of God putting this plant around Ezekiel as a hedge of protection. In either, in either sense, you still have God either warning Ezekiel or protecting Ezekiel but the most encouraging thing I think is found in chapter 3 verses 7 to 8 though it's scary listen to this again but the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you for they are not willing to listen to me because all the house of Israel have a hard forehead and a stubborn heart and then verse 8 behold I have made your face as hard as their faces and your forehead as hard as their forces. Like emery, harder than flint, have I made your forehead. So God is going to strengthen him for this very difficult ministry task and give him this hard forehead, this ability to bear with the opposition to his ministry. And then he does... The Lord does one more thing to prepare his prophet. He submits him to a test of obedience. Do you see that in, in Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 8? He, he commands Ezekiel to not become rebellious like that rebellious house. And then here's the test. You've got to eat whatever I set before you. 
And maybe some of your mothers did that when you were growing up. And they said, if you eat whatever I set before you, you can go play. But here, the thing that is set before Ezekiel is a scroll. And it's like, I have to eat that scroll? And this scroll is, is, is long, and it has writing on both the front and the back, maybe implying that the words of the Lord are complete, and Ezekiel will have nothing to add to them. But the counsel is you have to eat this scroll and fill yourself with it. And so I don't think it meant literally that Ezekiel had to eat a paper scroll, but it symbolized that he would have to take in fully the word that God had to deliver. He had to take it into his mouth so that he could speak it out of his mouth. And notice, though the scroll contains this message of woe, it tastes like honey in his mouth. So the Lord gives all these resources, motivation, and empowering to his servant. And he even gives him the end goal, which is found in chapter 2, verse 5. And whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. So Ezekiel's mission does not depend on the response of the people. It depends on his faithfulness to delivering God's message. And all this reveals God's deep heart concern for his servants. And his heart for righteousness and his heart for rebellious people. So how can we respond? Well, the first one, which I didn't include in the notes, is that we can respond to God's heart for righteousness by pursuing it in our own lives or recognizing its goodness or recognizing this is ultimately what is good for us and maybe checking our heart if there's any resistance to the righteousness of God and the call to righteousness in our hearts that's lingering. Secondly, we must repent of our rebellion and sometimes we walk very closely with the Lord and other times we don't. We drift, we get distant, sometimes we are intent on disobeying what we know he commands and if there is some rebellion in our hearts we need to confess that before him today. And then the third way to respond, especially to his heart for his servants, is to depend on his empowering to obey his call on your lives. Ezekiel was not the only person in the world who ever had a hard call on his life. We all do. Whether it be parenting or grandparenting, whether it be our jobs, whether it be our marriages or relationships, whether it be our lifestyle or following Jesus, these all contain tough moments and tough challenges. But the encouragement that we see in God's heart here today is if God has put you in a situation, a tough situation, he will empower and equip and encourage you to be able to bear it. We admit our weaknesses. Lord, I need you. Yes, I need you. And then in dependence upon the Lord, we continue forward with whatever we are facing. So we depend on the Lord for his empowering. For the Lord has a heart for his servants. And I wonder which one of these three maybe has spoken to you today. A need to 
pursue righteousness, a need to repent of rebellion, a need to depend on the Lord for his empowering, for he has compassion and loves his servants. And I want you to ponder that and, and pray about it as we prepare for communion. And to, to prepare, we're going to be singing a song in a moment that talks about all these different parts of our lives. Righteousness and our lack thereof, rebellion and the need to surrender those parts of our lives where we need the Lord. And so I'm going to pray and then the worship team is going to lead us in this song and we will meet at the Lord's table then after. And if you have not, if you've forgotten to get a communion thing, go out and get one during the song so that you can participate today. But let's pray together. Lord God, as, as we come to you today, um, wow, I, I just look at this and I'm kind of saying, what a tough call, what a tough ministry you gave to Ezekiel. And yet, though, though it was tough, and though he would not be this, you know, mega church pastor who millions acclaim as, as famous, he had a very tough assignment, and yet you called him to be faithful to your word. And you would empower him to do that, and you would give him strength to do that. And Lord, I pray that wherever we are at today, we will just entrust to you, turn to you, uh, repent, and depend on you to live out the calling that you have on our lives. And we pray this in your name. Amen.